Welcome to Crypto Clarified, Investing in the Truth, a podcast series where we come together to discuss the most captivating headlines and trends from the crypto space. My name is Benjamin Dean. I'm Director in Wisdom Tree's Digital Assets team. I'm joined as usual by my ever brilliant co-host, Camilla Russo, who's founder of The Defiant, thedefiant.io. Cami, uh, how are things? Um, things are good. It's a big week uh, for, for our space with the merge coming up. So uh, yeah, it's been kind of all about the merge uh, at the Defiant for you know the the past couple of days and the days to come, I guess. Yeah, indeed, it's a massive, massive event. Uh, if anybody wants to follow it in real time, the Defiant's going to have great coverage. The Defiant.io. Uh, today, though, we're going to take a different look at the space. I guess you could say we're joined by a very special guest, Claudia Biancotti, who's a director at the Bank of Italy. Uh, before I introduce or ask Claudia to introduce herself. Uh, in terms of topics we're going to cover today, we're going to cover transparency in the traditional finance and DeFi space. We're going to talk about the current state of the crypto ecosystem, where some problems may reside, like a concept called MEV, which we'll go into some detail to explain. And then we'll try and close out with a few solutions going forward. Before I begin, though, I need to state the following. Shout out to James and Sam. To clarify, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of Wisdom Tree and Defiant Media and are subject to change. Claudia's views are her own and do not represent those of the Bank of Italy. Anything we present in this podcast is not intended to be relied upon as a forecast, research, nor as investment or tax advice. The information and opinions expressed in this podcast are not a recommendation, offer or solicitation to buy or sell any securities, and reliance upon them is at the sole discretion of the listener. Please remember that past performance is no indication of future results. End of the housekeeping, let's start the fun bit. Uh, Claudia Biancotti is joining us today. As I said, Director at the Bank of Italy. Uh, Claudia, thank you for joining us. I hope you're well. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much for having me on. And uh, I'm doing great. It's our pleasure. Uh, usually, Claudia, when we have guests on, uh, we'd like to give them a chance to introduce themselves. Uh, how about we kick off just by you telling us a little bit about how you became interested in this kind of crypto space, particularly as somebody who uh, has a role at the Bank of Italy. Uh, you could cover some of the work you've done or some of the areas that you focused on, and then uh, we can maybe start diving in from there. Okay, thank you. Great questions to start with. So uh, I've been with the Bank of Italy for 20 years now, and uh, I'm an economist. Uh, I've covered uh, several areas in my research uh, over the years, but I've always been very interested in anything that is at the crossroad between technology and uh, economics. So, you know, I was um, studying uh, neural networks when they were not a thing uh, in economics, et cetera. Uh, and the reason I became interested in crypto is, uh, well, on the one hand, uh, because of the technology side, but on the other hand, uh, because of the cultural side, and I'll explain br briefly. I first heard of crypto in uh, 2012, I think, or 2013. A friend of mine who lives in London was uh, taking part uh, in an event uh, where Amir Taki was uh, presenting uh, Bitcoin. And, uh, you know, I've always been interested in subcultures uh, uh, because I find that sometimes uh, the radical ideas uh, presented in subcultures just anticipated mainstream by 20 years and they shouldn't be thrown out just because they're unconventional and uh, so when my friend mentioned bitcoin and amir i went read the white paper and the whole idea of trustless um, settlement of transactions just blew me away so yeah that's why i got interested in crypto and i haven't been really working on crypto uh, until very recently i was mostly working on the side of the economics of cybersecurity. security um, 
and uh, global supply, ch supply chains. Uh, then uh, this year, you know, everybody was getting involved in crypto regulation at the bank uh, and uh, at the ECB and in international institutions. And I just felt that something was not quite right. Then uh, uh, the, the market crashed because of Celsius and 3AC, et cetera. And I saw too many people who were pretty quick to declare the end of the crypto ecosystem. And I was like, no, uh, let's, let's try to explain how we go forward from there. Nice. Well, it's always nice to see folks who have made the transition from economics into uh, studying the space. Anyone who has an interest in economics and technology usually gets drawn into the space. In terms of discussion today, I'd like the discussion to be framed around an idea that's become quite pertinent. You mentioned Three Arrows Capital. Uh, transparency. Now, we've got a traditional financial system and a DeFi ecosystem that's growing. Cami, when you think about, and we've talked about this before, transparency in the DeFi space, it's one of those characteristics we say is, is important to the space. What, what do we mean in, in precise terms around transparency in DeFi? Well, I mean, just to point out that the, the two uh, cases um, mentioned are, are not DeFi. So Three Arrows Capital and Celsius, they're examples of, you know, opaque centralized finance. Um, DeFi is trying to, is aiming at uh, bringing on an entirely different uh, system where transactions are publicly visible and recorded on chain and can't can't be messed with you know they they're permanently recorded uh, on chain and you have the the entire history going back till the start of whatever public blockchain uh, you're looking at um this has its you know advantages and disadvantages uh, of course uh, privacy being the main disadvantage here uh, when you're transacting in DeFi. Um, unless you're, you're uh, doing, you know, using some some of the um, mixers, which are now, you know, at, at kind of this crossroads, uh, like like Tornado Cash, you know, all all of your uh, wallet activity is is visible. So, you know, this um, this is a, a reduction in in user privacy if your wallet is connected to your identity. Uh, but at the same time, it does provide a, a level of uh, radical transparency that was just never available in traditional finance before. I always like it when you draw that distinction there that you know what is and isn't DeFi. And it's true, the three arrows capital, a hedge fund, it's traditional finance. Claudia, how do the folks on like the regulator side or the public policy people, when they look at the events of this year and they say, now we're interested in DeFi or in crypto, are they missing the mark perhaps just because they simply don't know how to differentiate these things too clearly? Uh, I think it, it really depends uh, on the country and it depends on the people. Um, my impression is that uh, uh, when it comes to CFI, uh, especially in Europe, now that we already have uh, this marketing crypto asset regulation, um, the regulators in good faith who really wanted to tackle the problems have done their homework. And uh, I guess there is uh, an understanding of uh, how transparency should apply. And indeed, there are disclosure requirements for centralized uh, intermediaries that were not there before and for centralized stablecoin issuers. On DeFi, I would say that uh, we're not uh, so advanced, uh, both because of limited knowledge uh, of uh, the, the topic and because of some misconceptions. 
Uh, what I think, uh, uh, I mean, the misconceptions are not just on the regulator's side, they're on everybody's side. Because uh, in DeFi, I think there's a um, bunch of uh, steps that are really hard to understand if you're not uh, the person who coded the protocol. And this applies to transparency in a significant way. So let me give you an example. I won't name any protocols here because I'm not you know, trying to shield one or, or the other. But uh, there are uh, popular uh, DeFi uh, trading uh, protocols that have uh, a circuit breaker if there is uh, excess uh, volatility in the market, uh, but they don't tell the customer uh, whether they can uh, their positions can be liquidated uh, during uh, the circuit breaker, when the circuit breaker is, uh, is, is functioning. So of course, uh, circuit breakers exist in traditional markets, but you know what happens uh, to your positions uh, during uh, the one minute break. Uh, and uh, one thing is saying DeFi is more transparent because everything that happens is on chain, right? But DeFi also needs uh, uh, to tell me what happens exactly in the event of a circuit breaker because that, then again, people see their positions disappear. And uh, when one tries to investigate these things, the answer is uh, this uh, um, product that is still under development. Yes, but you're dealing, dealing with you know real traders. So this can't be the answer. And at the same time, uh, um, also very popular protocols, they try to be more transparent. For example, in the case of decentralized exchanges, so the big ones always tell you more or less what's going to be the price impact, the slippage, uh, but it's really not something uh, that uh, is fully understandable to everybody who goes on these platforms. Uh, it's still, you know, it's still better than not telling you what's going to happen in case of a circuit breaker. But uh, I still think that when it comes to the inner piping of DeFi, uh, too little is known. Too little is in the white papers. I mean, I'm a, I'm a an infrastructure geek. I really like to read this stuff and try to understand it. And sometimes I find that big chunks are missing. So um, a final example uh, in TradFi, uh, all these you know backend stuff in markets is already problematic. Maybe you remember the whole discussion about payment for order flow in uh, the Robin Hood case uh, when uh, GameStop had uh, these wild swings. Uh, so the problem was the app was uh, selling uh, order flows to somebody else uh, and there might have been a conflict of interest. In DeFi, payment for order flows, uh, I've heard about it recently. Some wallets are going to be adopting this model. Why do I have to find by chance? Uh, why isn't this uh, you know, widely explained and publicized? Uh, infrastructure is hard to get right. And it's harder to get it right without conflicts of interest. And I don't see if I doing enough for, for this. I mean, do you think that's a fair kind of statement to make there, a position to take that, I mean, there's one piece which is like, not everyone write, can read and write software. There's a piece like not everyone has time to do it and can rely on like usually traditional finance, like some sort of agreements, contracts, arrangements uh, that obviate that problem. You've got, yeah, perhaps there is some things on the back end where you don't know which parties are working on what, maybe developers are anons. Do you think there's anything there? Um, or any comments I mean, you'd like to make in I response? I think definitely, you know, uh, DeFi should be better at communicating how, how things work. Like it's a notoriously hard to understand sector. I think, you know, uh, the the big difference is that um these protocols uh, or those who are actually defined 
they are open source, you know, the, the software is there uh, for everyone to see and verify and check and see how things work. So yes, uh, they're oftentimes, most times, you know, these teams are not, you know, very uh, um, diligent in the way that they are communicating exactly, you know, everything that, that happens for sure. Um, but at least the code is transparent and users are able to, but it's not just a white paper, you know, in open source building, the code is there for it, like the protocol code, the, the smart contracts, they're deployed on chain. Um, technical users, yes, you, you have to be technical. So you have to rely on auditors, you have to rely on other developers to check this. Um, and that's a, a big problem for the everyday user. But the information is there publicly available uh, in open source software and publicly deployed smart contracts to be checked and actually see how things work. The advantage of, of code is that once it's deployed on the blockchain, that's how it works. Um, that's different from, you know, Claudia mentioned Robinhood. That's different from something like Robinhood, which can unilaterally change the rules as we saw happen exactly with the GameStop um, stock. Robinhood suddenly, you know, decided to stop uh, trades. Uh, causing massive losses. Um, in DeFi, in this whole kind of crisis and crash and mess that happened, um, well, all of CeFi was suspending withdrawals and, you know, again, like unilaterally making decisions for their users. DeFi continued working, you know, as intended. Uh, smart, smart contracts continued executing. Liquidations happened in an orderly manner, nobody was um, uh, banned from withdrawing their deposits from any DeFi protocol. I think uh, this past crash was a huge testament to how much better DeFi is because everything just worked. And as intended, there were no surprises um, and you know, uh, users could continue you know, withdrawing, liquidating, managing their liquidations, uh, and and so on. So yeah, I think it, it's a really complex area. I think there needs to be a lot more disclosure. I think it, it communication needs to be a lot clearer because it's only readily available for very technical users who can understand this open source code. But the big difference is that the code is there to be checked and verified. Nice. So what we've got emerging here is is kind of where I wanted this to go. I, we often hear statements made that one is, is transparent, the other is not transparent. There's actually a lot of nuance. Like there's different dimensions on which things can be transparent and they're usually spectrums. Even within the De DeFi ecosystem, as you said, Cami, like there are some teams that do a better job of certain elements in transparency than others. Uh, so it's not all like a uniform space. Um, some are doing better than others, but then you, what's the standard at which we measure it? Well, often people will go and say tra traditional finance, financial services is transparent on X, Y, and Z dimension. Uh, and then we've got other things in place to like have recourse um, if, if, if transparency is not possible or is, is taken away. So it's, it's a nuanced topic. It's, it's hard to make definitive statements. I think like recourse is a, an, an interesting topic, right? Because in DeFi, you don't have recourse. So that's something 
that you can argue, you know, DeFi could be a lot better at. It's like, okay, like something goes wrong, there's a hack. Um, you know, you there, there's some vulnerability that was exploited or, you know, something happens uh, or you send your, your money to the wrong address and you're stuck, you know? Uh, yeah, there's nobody, there's no kind of customer call center or authority even that you can go to. So I, I think that's that's a, a huge difference with CFI and traditional finance. It's starting to change a little bit, right? As we've seen like some foundations, open source software foundations, uh, some developers ultimately held responsible in some cases. Mm. Uh, we're starting to see that change. It's not the way it used to be. We've even seen law cases emerge around NFTs, thefts of NFTs. So like the traditional legal system is like starting to be used as a, a means of recourse in, in the DeFi space. Yeah. Uh, that's part of it getting bigger, right? And more prominent and more being at stake. Uh, I'm conscious that there's, there's one topic, uh, Claudia, that I know that you've been looking at a lot. And it's one that I wanted to bring up in this podcast because it's a good example of transparency uh, or where there's not transparency. And it, it's a great little case study. Uh, it's a concept called MEV. Now, that's the concept we haven't really brought up before on this podcast. So if you just stop for a second and explain what that acronym stands for, and then conceptually, like, what is it? Why does it happen? And maybe from there, we can talk about well, what solutions there might be, if any, uh, to, to get around the issue. Okay, so let me take a step back. Uh, whenever you finalize uh, a transaction uh, on, a, on a blockchain is because uh, either miners or validators uh, depending on the on the system intervene and form a consensus around the, the transaction and this allows for the trustless authentication and these miners uh, or these validators are also responsible uh, for choosing uh, whichever transaction uh, gets uh, in a block they have uh, a pool of pending transactions Transactions so that's called a mempool, and they basically get to pick and choose. Uh, at the very beginning, uh, um, it was fairly easy uh, to pick and choose because uh, some transactions uh, had uh, higher tips uh, in Bitcoin uh, that um, the person sending the transaction was giving to the miner to make the transaction go faster. So the miners just aggregated whatever had the higher tips so they could keep the tips. And, uh, and this was uh, fairly transparent. But over time, uh, miners uh, started to get wiser uh, to how the system worked. So they started doing stuff like a sandwich attack, which basically means uh, I extract a transaction from the mining pool, uh, which the user wants to carry out at a certain price. But uh, I sandwich it between two transactions of mine that, for example, are going to, you know, get me a profit and get the user the worst price possible because at first I make the price go down and then I make the price go up or vice versa, depending on my interest. Um, and uh, there's other practices uh, like front running. Uh, uh, I mean, it's all stuff that uh, in traditional finance uh, is a straight up insider trading. It's uh, having an informational advantage uh, over other participants in the market and exploiting uh, these uh, um, 
this uh, advantage to make money. Uh, this is only my opinion. I mean, there is no legal uh, case uh, bringing testimony to this in a, in a final way. The Bank for International Settlements had a paper suggesting that some practices involved in MEV might be insider trading. Uh, my idea is that uh, um, regulation that protects uh, uh, ordinary retail customers uh, from uh, getting the worst price possible from intermediaries is there for a reason, which is the same reason why crypto exists, which is to address imbalances in power. So it's kind of annoying that MEV should exist. And uh, one thing that really struck me as odd in the DeFi space is that I've, I've heard uh, important founders, like mm, people with, um, you know, a, a substantial intellectual content, uh, content defend this because it incentivizes the miners uh, to stay online. But come on, I mean, at the expense of the little guy, whereas others uh, uh, want to abolish this practice. And now Ethereum, but only Ethereum, has a solution provided by a company that's called Flashbots. And they're working on something that's called a proposal builder separation, uh, which basically means that there, there are professionals who build the blocks uh, and uh, other professionals who validate the blocks, but it's not the same uh, individual uh, individual or entity, so there's no conflict of interest. And uh, proposers should optimize for something that is not their own profit. Uh, and this should break the, the, the cycle. But uh, I don't see how you can leave that uh, um, in the hands of, you know, just trust in people's good faith. Uh, how do I even know, uh, considering that validators are anonymous, that the proposer and the builder are not part of the same company? I expect some companies to, you know, have the whole supply chain and keep on doing the same thing that uh, you did uh, before Flashbots and before PBS. And then I love the idea of Flashbots. It's, it's genius under some profiles, but it's one company. Talk about decentralization. I mean, I would like to have four or five and 90% uh, of Ethereum clients are going to install the um, uh, MEV Boost, which is Flashbots product, if I'm not mistaken. So basically, this is uh, the problem of problems in terms of transparency and fairness. And I think that on this, you really, really, really need regulation. Because uh, in the mid space, uh, um, the final settlement of all transactions is done via central bank accounts, which are, of course, heavily regulated. And central banks, uh, at least in civilized countries, don't make a profit of uh, final settlement. Uh, in crypto, you don't have uh, a central bank. And the idea that final settlement uh, can, be, can be non neutral. Uh, and uh, produce profit, uh, which is, uh, you know, beyond uh, uh, the incentive for, for mining or validating like staking yields or mining rewards. Uh, this really doesn't work. And uh, this is not a question of understanding code or not. This is a question of having access to privileged information. So basically, if I want to see what's in the mempool of Ethereum, I have to run a node. And, uh, or I mean, maybe I can also do it online or less efficiently. Uh, but uh, there is a cost for seeing and understanding this, which is uh, not, uh, I mean, not everybody can afford it. And uh, it's, um, even if I can read the code perfectly, if I, I'm not in the position of power of having, you know, maybe, Five hundred uh, proposers uh, and five hundred builders and five hundred validators. Uh, I want to be able to get a fair treatment, which is, uh, I mean, this is a pet peeve of mine. But I think uh, there must be, you know, traditional market regulation adapted for the new infrastructure. But it's something that has to be done. So this is a nice example here. And the reason it's nice is because you see problems that have been seen in traditional finance emerging in this. In, the, in this other space, like front running and sandwich attacks, 
just making me hungry. Uh, the other element there is the flip side to transparency. Anyone can see the mempool. Uh, technically, anyone can run a node, spin up some software, and take and participate. Um, now, Kami, we just heard like one avenue you could go down is to try and like regulate it, which is uh, it's one avenue. There's another avenue, and it's that you go and write software or make changes at an application or protocol level that kind of obviates the the, the various causes of these issues. Uh, you've got your ear to the ground uh, with the Ethereum dev community and the DeFi app devs. Is this something that they are, well, they must be, I know they're aware of it because of the proposals to, to do something about it. Do you think it's like, out of all of the things that are changing over time, do you think this is one of the priorities going forward? Do you think it's something that can be solved at technical level? Um, or are there other ways in which one uh, might kind of minimize uh, these kinds of, of challenges? Um, I think there's there's so there's a lot of work uh, that's being done on, on this area. It's definitely a, a priority for for lots of builders and um, and Flashbots is one of of a few other uh, projects working on on solving this this problem. So I think you know I I'm just personally I think um, at technical kind of market solution to to these problems is usually more effective uh, than you know regulating it in in a way that's that was built for another sort of uh, financial system um, with different characteristics and different infrastructure um, you know maybe maybe it's a combination of both maybe it some regulation is needed while uh, other you know, private individual projects are working to uh, improve this issue. Um, but yeah, I mean, I the things have definitely improved with, with Flashbots and, and these other projects. And uh, there's work to be done. I think Claudia's points are, 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 are really kind of uh, um, interesting and, and, and relevant. Yeah, like you, you don't know whether um all, all sides of 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 the, the equation aren't in conflict still uh, with the flashbot solution um so that needs to be solved um but I, I maybe there's a way of doing it without kind of this you know top-down uh, regulation coming in um I, I i wanted to ask claudia whether a proof of stake changes anything uh, for mev well, my impression is that uh, the possibility of collusion within the ecosystem uh, is not really going to change because, uh, of course, you could have, uh, I mean, you're not going to be looking for mining rewards, you're going to be looking for staking yields, mm -hmm. uh, but this doesn't really change the, the problem as, uh, as far as I see it. Okay. Um, <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Uh... I, I think it is a big problem. I I, I think um, it's really unfair that kind of the little guy is at a disadvantage versus those who are validating or, or running nodes and have you know privileged information on uh, as to what's happening in in the mempool. Um, it's true that you know at least anyone you know it is uh, public and anyone can run a validator, but I don't think an everyday user. Of Ethereum should you know 
have to be running on Ethereum node in order to get a fair price. You know, that, that's not, you know, practical. Um, so yeah, I think it, it's a, it's a big issue. And I, I think it, it, it'll, it'll have to be a, probably a combination of both, you know, some, uh, regulation coming in though. It, it's, it's hard with Ethereum being just a global network, you know, like how to regulate it, who regulates it. Um, and so I don't know it, that's, those are all kind of like outstanding questions about DeFi and blockchain uh, in general. Um, so that's why I think just like solution coming from within the space, from these kind of individual projects, from you know the market, are usually more effective. But yeah. I was thinking, just if I can ask you, Camila, uh, yeah. a, a, a little question. Uh, um, I think there's a couple of companies that are working uh, on solutions that uh, uh, start from uh, encrypting the mempool. I mean, you both said everybody can run a node. Yes, if they're rich, but uh, I mean, you still need these uh, 32K, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, the idea of encrypting the, the mempool just will make everybody equal. And I think maybe, uh, I mean, mm -hmm. I haven't given thought to the legal uh, structure of this because I'm not a lawyer, but maybe this is a typical thing that you, you mentioned, we don't want regulation that was uh, thought up for a very different system. And I totally agree with you on this, but maybe regulation that just says, you know, mempools have to be encrypted, would that work? I think so, but, you know, I, again, I think it's it's something that, that if, if it's something that's a, that's a, that's better and that benefits users, um, it 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 will be adopted without the need of someone having to kind of enforce it. But you know, if if, if that's something that kind of needs to happen for the system to be more fair, and, and if it you know all it takes is encrypting the mempool, um, yeah, I think it, I think that's kind of a, a viable solution that's that's uh, kind of in line with. The technology and not trying to kind of fit uh, regulations that were created for something else. Do you think over time one DeFi app would just simply implement a technical change like that and then all the users look at it and say well I don't want to have this front-running attacks on me so I'm going to use that platform that solves the problem and over time people essentially vote with their feet or their wallets is another way to look at it. Kind of, kind of optimistic because uh, I don't think many retail traders, uh, even on DeFi, know about the exact nature of front running and uh, and about you know the the losses associated with it and how it works. Uh, I mean, it, you're imagining a, a perfect information world, which is uh, which would be great, uh, but that's actually not the case. I mean. Uh, my main problem, I love crypto and I love the ideal of crypto, but sometimes I find it too optimistic in terms of, you know, people who have power are going to try to abuse it, which is one of the premises of crypto. And we forget that this is this applies to within crypto as well. Uh, so, yeah. So we're coming up on time, Claudia, I'd invite you just for in a couple of sentences, if there's like one thing you'd like readers to take away from what you've said today or from like your ongoing work in the space from the perspective where you sit. 
One final takeaway, I think we need more interaction between the regulators uh, and the crypto community. And I think this podcast was a great example of this. And I'm really grateful that uh, you organized this uh, because we need to uh, bridge each other's knowledge gap, language gap, and uh, the, the bravado and the confrontational tones definitely need to stop because otherwise we're never going to uh, go anywhere. But unfortunately, I see from most people in both spaces uh, a lot of posturing and uh, it's it's not bringing uh, the cause any forward either parties cause with that i think we're out of time i hope everyone found today's podcast useful and informative as a reminder if you'd like us to cover any topics of the future or you'd like more information you can use old school email crypto clarified at wisdomtree.com you can find cami at cami russo on twitter i'm at benjamin dean claudia thank you for joining us how can folks find you on the interwebs uh, I'm on Twitter, uh, Claudia Biancotti, or Un Gatto di Piombo, for those who speak Italian. And so just hit me up on Twitter. And on various discourse around the crypto space and Hearthstone. Excellent. Well, Cami, good luck this week with the merge. Uh, I imagine you've got a very busy one ahead yeah. of you, right? <laughs> yeah. Um... Yeah, it's, we're we're also having a merge party at the Defiant headquarters in Brooklyn, so that that's something else that uh, we're we're planning. Very cool. We'll enjoy that. Thanks again to everyone who's listened, and we hope you have an excellent day. Ciao. Oh, thank you. Bye. Thank you.